0: Therefore, we live to please him. It struck me as a statement of ownership, of ownership. Um, We are under a tectonic change in the heart. Um, I don't know if you've discovered this yet, but there are some really radical priorities crashing into your heart if you are calling yourself a Christian. A complete new orientation to life is underway. Uh, The scriptures present that the Son of God became incarnate and he rose from the dead. He is the ascended king. And uh, he intends to rule in in the Christian heart. And the Apostle Paul says, and we uh, make it our aim to please him. That's the aim of our life. And so we're under we're under new ownership. Um, I want to pray for us, but let me ask you some questions about ownership. Um, I found these to be a little bit uncomfortable for myself, but let's see how how uh, used to how uh, comfortable you are with the idea of of God owning you. How about this? Does someone else own your marriage? Or do you? Does someone else own your children? Or they, or are they yours? Does someone else own your body? Or is it yours? Does someone else own your finances, your income? Or are they yours? You want me to stop? <laughs> um, does someone else own your responses to life? Or are they yours? Does someone else own you? Or are you your own? I think it's time to pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, there really is a a tectonic change. Uh, The shifting of plates, as we would describe the earth in an earthquake. Uh, These things are underway and a, a, tr- a new change is underway, and uh, those questions are, um, are true and good and important and help us to answer them with joy. Father, we are, have not been made uh, to handle the burden of self-ownership. We can't handle it. Uh, it it's, it's too much for us, and it certainly impacts other people and impacts our world. And so help us to find the relief that you own us. Help us to aim to please you. Help us to live in verse 9. Not just quote the Apostle Paul, but have it imprinted on our hearts. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so. All right. So first, what I want to do is I want to cover the idea of grasping God's ownership um and i believe it's a whether it, it is a whether or not abandonment it's a kind of abandonment so I'll, I'll explain that what i mean by that but grasping god's ownership is really the key to the sermon today we're trying to figure out how does paul say my my goal in life is to is to please him right uh, i'm trying to get underneath that i'm trying to get a shovel underneath that and kind of, uh, let's what is what is what is going on there? Let's not just let that slide by, but let's figure out what is going on. And so, I'm seeing that the that Paul is communicating to the Corinthians: your issue is ownership. You think you're you, you think you are your own. You can pick and choose your own apostles. You can pick and choose your own leaders. You can. You want things according to your Greek style of living, and you like this and like that. And, for instance, you have failed to love me. That's why First Corinthians thirteen is there. That's written to the Corinthians who, who failed uh, at love. So, ownership. The Corinthians thought, um, in a subtle way, they were. Essentially, living to please themselves—a whole church can live that way. By the way, doesn't matter the size of the church; doesn't matter the outward success of the church. There's a there's a subtle inwardness to to a, a church that's not at all connected to the purposes of the kingdom and aiming to please Him. Um, you can tell it in how people complain, what they complain about, and uh, they're not they're not. This shift hasn't happened. So first, grasping God's ownership is a whether or not abandonment to the good purposes of grace. Now, do you know the context is Paul's been using whether or not, right? He's been saying that. If you just look, look up there in verses 3, 4, and 5, and he starts talking about, well, whether we're alive when Jesus comes back or if we depart from this body and go into the glory of God and go into heaven He's like, well, whether or not, right? He's got this whether or not thing going on, and he's—you can kind of sense—he lives in this. It's—it's powerful. Well, whether or not this happens or that happens, it doesn't really matter, right? And I'm like, I think, well, I don't—I can't. Can I enter into that? Whether or not this happens, or doesn't. Whether if I die serving the Lord, or, you know, i I, am not quite right. That's—that's really. He's really free. Can't you sense how free he is? And uh, if we're away from the body or at home, verse 6 and verse 8, oh, it doesn't really matter. God owns me, and, it, and all the purposes are good. So and we talked a little bit about how he faces death pretty much every time he walks into some, some city. It doesn't matter if it's a, uh, a Jewish city, maybe like Jerusalem, or they're after him there as well. It doesn't matter if it's a pagan city like Rome. Well, that's going to be trouble. Um, uh, a religious leader in Jerusalem is just as dangerous as, uh, as a Caesar, right? So this whole thing about death is like everywhere um, in Paul's experience. And so he's sort of detached from, like, it's, it's really counterintuitive. I want to hang on to my life. Don't you want to hang on to your life? I want to hang on to my life. And Paul's like, got this whether or not abandonment to God's purposes. And I find that really intriguing, and by the way, anytime the gospel is firing in your heart, where you really believe it, you're going to be experiencing two things, freedom and power. And so that's like that young Christian I was referring to earlier in the service. They're just believing the gospel, believing God's good, and not trusting in their foolishness. And guess what happens? The experience they experiences: freedom and power. It's, it's always, always true. So when Paul says that, well, God owns me, essentially, and I have a whether or not view of life and death. That's like freedom and power. I mean, that's, that's wildly insightful about what the, the power of the, the gospel. And so he's moving into this realm of, in verse 9, he's moving into this, well, what face does Paul live before? Like, can you imagine what it would be like to live in this ancient Roman world? How terrifying it would be to, you know, Caesar's coming to town. Well, that's good news, right? Uh, I don't know. Crazy things can happen when Caesar gets a hold of a decision, right? Who knows what's going to happen, right? And so it's really a chaotic world. Of course, there was order and uh, progress in governmental systems under the Greeks and the Romans. And yes, true, but... When you're dealing with a tyrant and a dictator who's got all power, wow, this is a really uncertain world. Well, Paul is living before the face of faces, the king of kings, the one who conquered death. So it's this God's ownership is this whether or not abandonment to his purposes. The purposes are good, by the way. And uh, if you want to warm your heart, um, and by the way, Scotty Smith sent me some prayers to preach the gospel to yourself. If you'd like that, I'll send that to you. He, he sent these, this collection of prayers, and they're really good. Basically, taking these sluggish hearts of ours and wake them up and warm them up. And so, um, um, if you if you want to move into uh, this motivational structure, that's to to grip our hearts. Um, gonna have to going to have to spend time before the face of faces and let the things that are pressing in on us, the things that own us, the things that where we can't say, well, this would ruin my life if my commanding officer did this or if I didn't have the finances uh, like I want, this would ruin my life or if I don't have if something is ruling your heart, this is the work of the Christian to say, King Jesus is to rule my heart. The riches of grace, not the riches of the pocketbook, are to rule me. And so I just found this to be fascinating, that he's working out God's ownership of him. Does that make sense? His ownership. And there's two ways that God owns us. He owns us by creation, and that should be enough, but it isn't. So he owns us by making us, and then secondly, he purchased us. So he owns us by redemption, and so it's a double ownership, and now we're under new management, and that is that, well, we're getting used to it. So good purposes are underway, and they're not going to stop, and if you'd like to sort of get a good feel for what is this, what's it like to get, get a good read on the good purposes, read Romans 8, and then read it again, and then read it again. Because what Paul keeps saying is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, at earlier in Romans 1 and 2 and part of chapter 3, God was against us. It's really uncomfortable reading. And God is not at, for us at all until the work of Christ shows up in the book of Romans. And then a remarkable thing happens. In Romans 8, Paul says, if God is for us in Jesus, everything that's happened in Jesus who can be against us right so this is that there's a sense of abandonment in the apostle paul and i think that's where uh, i certainly need to be working daily it's a singleness of heart that's what we're after a singleness of heart we're to respect caesar but he doesn't own us we're to yeah he has a role in life but it's not the role okay it's not the role I should, you know it's not it's not it's not he's not He's not really the king. And, and that's, this. I just found this to be, we're working at God's ownership of us. And by the way, if you're a good American, you own yourself. You are a self-made person. Rugged individualism, right? And so in many ways, to be a Christian is to be counterintuitive in the way that we've been raised. The Heidelberg Catechism just does a beautiful job with this. What is your only comfort in life and death? Well, basically, the question is, what are the reasons to enter into an abandonment of all that you think is important? The answer is that I. What's your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. That's the answer. That's a comfort in life, and you're not owned by yourself. You're. I mean, that's. Man, that's rich. It's earthy. It's that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death. In death, you are you belong to Jesus. To my I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, how did that work? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And he watches. Over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Anyone's heart getting warm? Anyone... That's it. And that not only just not only does that preach, that's the stuff that will warm the heart to say, "Why does this circumstance own me so much?" All right. It's the whether or not abandonment. That's an expression of God's ownership. That's putting the cart back, (laughs) in a sense. Saying, okay, I see my place. I see my place. Now, secondly, grasping God's ownership is an anchor holding us steady in an impersonal world. Now, what I really mean by impersonal world obviously we have rich experiences in life, we have joyful experiences we have personal experiences in life that are good what I mean by this is that when the world is harsh and cold and when in God's providence hard things happen God's ownership is an anchor that holds us steady It's not a cynical view of the world. It's not a retreat. It's not wallowing in self-pity to say, oh, I live in a, an impersonal world. But people will radically fail you. And I want to know where 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 is your anchor? And is your anchor connected to God's ownership of you? Again, our verse 9, that's all we're looking at today. Verse 9, that's all we're looking at. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's a statement of anchor. That means I have a turbulent, unpredictable world, but I have an anchor, and I have a a, a way to frame my life. I have purposes to direct my life to, I have an aim in life. Do you ever feel aimless? Sure. Do you ever feel without purpose? Sure. Verse 9. If you're looking for a purpose statement for your life, here it is. And this is why I'm preaching on just this verse because it's so big. How does a person ever get to the place where the whole orientation of their life is to please God? Think with me. How does that happen? Well, the whole orientation of a person's life is to please God their words their 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 thoughts their their conduct their I just find it uh, I find it freeing I find it intriguing I find it whoa how does one get to that place and it has something to do with grasping God's ownership as an anchor now um, if you have not read Elizabeth Elliot, uh, you have to read Elizabeth Elliot before you leave this world, okay? Elizabeth Elliot may be a name that you're not familiar with. Any of her books are fantastic, but one of her books is incredible. It's called Through Gates of Splendor. Elizabeth Elliot uh, married a man named Jim. Uh, think, during her Wheaton college years. And in 1953, they had been preparing. They finally went as missionaries to Ecuador. And in eastern Ecuador, there was an unreached tribe called the Auka Indians. And Elizabeth and her husband Jim, along with four other couples, they went on a mission to try and reach the Alka Indians. Some of you know the story. The story is recounted in her book, Through Gates of Splendor. They uh, fly over in a small aircraft uh, and drop gifts to these folks. And they, these folks had never, ever seen any outsiders. Um, and they had other indications that this group was friendly. We're going to be able to. It, their first contact uh, was was going to work. Uh, all five men were killed by spear, and there were five widows, and Elizabeth Elliot was one of them. And as I as I thought about this idea of, of God's ownership, <laughs> um, who has who's modeled that in my life. Um, Who have I seen? And I had a rare experience in college where, and I don't remember the details, but for some reason, Elizabeth Elliott visited our campus, and um, I was her host. So I walked her around from class to class. It was kind of fun getting out of my own classes. Uh, But so I'm walking around with Elizabeth Elliott. I knew that she had some level of a pretty special person, and... uh, Evangelical fame, as you were, as you say. Um, And I was familiar with the story. And uh, so I got to know her partly a little bit through that. And uh, I've never ever, I think, ever been around a person who's more rock-solid, steady, unfazed. um, And I think you live in a different world than I do. Um, But her reflections... On, through gates of splendor and I thought I wonder if she has ever written on the idea of God owning, owning her and the whole, the whole book the whole book is really an expression of God's ownership of her and she writes the other wives and I talked together one night this is of the possibility of becoming widows what would we do God gave Peace of heart and confidence that whatever might happen, his word would hold. We knew that, quote, when he putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before them. His, God's leading was unmistakable up to this point. Each of us knew when we married our husbands that there would never be any question about who came first. God and his work held first place in each life. It was the condition of true discipleship. It became devastatingly meaningful now. It was a time of soul searching, a time for counting the possible cost. Was it the thrill of adventure that drew our husbands on? No. Their letters and journals make it abundantly clear that these men did not go out as some men go out to shoot a lion or climb a mountain. Their compulsion, listen to that word, compulsion was from a different source. Each had made a personal transaction with God recognizing that he belonged to God. First of all, by creation, and second, by redemption through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. This double claim on his life settled once and for all the question of allegiance. It was not a matter of striving to follow the example of a great teacher, To conform to the perfect life of Jesus was impossible for human being. To these men, Jesus Christ was God and had actually taken upon himself human form in order that he might die and by his death provide not only escape from punishment, which their sin merited, but also a new kind of life, eternal, both in length and in quality. This meant simply that Christ was to be obeyed. And more than that, he would provide the power to obey through gates of splendor. So there is a remarkable example of someone who has grasped God's ownership, ownership of her life. Lastly, I want to bring up one thought. And that is grasping God's ownership is a compulsion to rightly respond to God's love. Compulsion is an important word. Verse nine: We make it our aim. Um, it probably could be translated: We cannot help but make it our aim. That's that's the meaning. Uh, what other conclusion can one make in light of the gospel? What can what other conclusion can there be made? Now there has God's ownership. Uh, of your life, the compulsion that should flow from it is all the sequencing of events that has brought you to this place of belief that he, God loved you with an eternal love. He, he, he took on flesh through the Son. He accomplished his work regeneration took place you were given a new nature you were given the gifts of faith and repentance you were given the gift of justification where you express faith in Christ and you were given the merits of Christ and you discovered that what God demands he provides and now we're living in the promise of Romans 8 that all those that God has justified he will glorify. This is where you live this is where you this is God's ownership of you. Such that you will, he will faithfully bring you into glory. Webster writes that a compulsion is, everything on? okay. <laughs> Webster writes that a compulsion is a force that compels an irresistible, persistent impulse to perform an act. This compulsion is being expressed in verse 9. We make it our aim. Now, here's the deal. We need to be trained in how to aim our lives. I need constant training. Your presence here is one of the key ways of being trained to aim your life. We are rehearsing. We have sung. We've sung prayers. We have prayed. We've heard God's word. What what's happening here is you are and I am participating in the training of putting off our old self and putting on the new self. Oh, the new self is to change. The new self is to repent. The new self is to express faith. The new, the new self is to respond to God's word. The new self is owned by God. It goes on and on. And we we practice this in our worship, our worship is God's gracious way to help us respond. The Lord's Supper is training us. Oh, this is my, this is my true hunger. Oh, I thought that hamburger I had was the real deal. <laughs> this is the real. This is, see, the hamburger was good, but it just pointed to the deeper need of what else I should be hungering for that I was made for. So we're learning to aim our hearts together. Elizabeth Elliot would sing with those women, those widows. They would read scripture there in the jungles of Ecuador, widows. But their hearts had been trained in the ownership of God. Grace continues. We are ambivalent, by the way. We are ambivalent in, is this important? Is it that vital? Is this ownership really that real? Well, I'll someday ah, down the road I'll figure that ownership of God. We we have many ways of sort of slip sliding away. We have a slip, we slip this way and we move this way. We we are a little ambivalent. And yet we have God who pursues us faithfully, targeting our heart. There's a lot of things to aim for in life, aren't there? But God in his grace gives you verse 9 and says, I aim, we are to aim, Paul says we are to aim to please him, right? sweet. So there it is. Let's give God praise for today in his word. Father, Paul continues to say that we do not lose heart. Father, these words that you've given us today are are strengthening our heart and that may the eternal weight of glory come crashing into our hearts even as we speak. Thank you for this moment we've had before your word. Give us, Lord, give us a good, healthy, vigorous understanding of your ownership of us and we give you the praise. In Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you stand.